Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Father, we acknowledge that when part of our body hurts, we all hurt. When part of our family is going through uh, extreme difficulties, it affects us all. And this is good. This is the way you intend for it to be. So that we as a unit, as a body, as a, uh, an organism, uh, can pray for one another. We can support one another. Uh, we can comfort one another. Uh, and so, Lord, we lift up uh, Gail and Bob and uh, the rest of the kids and the rest of the family and her dad that you would... Just intervene in your sovereign power and grace uh, that you would bring healing to him, that he would be able to just continue to move forward in his healing process. Uh, Give the doctors the wisdom they need as they have to make decisions about his care. Give Gail and Bob wisdom as they have to make decisions as well about the situation. Uh, Be with her mom and just abound uh, your grace into her life as well. And, Lord, for others in our family that are going through difficulties, I pray for them as well, uh, that you would be there for them in their time of of need, their time of adversity, uh, that your grace would abound, that your strength would be theirs, and when it just feels like they cannot go another day, uh, they would look to you and you would be the strength they need uh, to keep going. Uh, That when their faith reaches its limit, that they would look to you, and Lord Jesus, you would be their faith, uh, that they might believe in ways they cannot yet comprehend and understand uh, and trust you uh, to do what only you, our God, can do. I do lift up this time in the Word as well and ask you, Holy Spirit, to minister the grace and the life of Jesus through your Word. Uh, Father, may we be attentive to your Word. May you take the words that I speak and anoint them with your spirit so they might be spirit in life. If I know apart from you, it's nothing but uh, the letter of the word. And we desire the spirit of the word. We desire the life of the word. Uh, So speak to us. Build us up in the faith. Encourage us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our study of 1 Peter, which I've entitled, Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times. Peter was writing to some Christians that were going through some hard times. They were going through difficulties and persecutions and extreme adversities. And when we go through emotional or when we go through adverse times, we have a gamut of emotions that we have to experience at the same time. And so these Christians were experiencing some various emotions, and we've already seen a few. First, we said they were experiencing confusion, and they were bewildered. They were wondering, why were they experiencing this difficulty? They were obeying God. They were following His Word. So why was it that they were experiencing persecution? I mean, doesn't God protect those who follow Him and insulate them? Peter writes them and says, look, guys, you're aliens. 
on this earth. Your true citizenship is in heaven. You don't belong to this world. You are out of step with this world when you are in step with God. And so expect adversity. Expect hardship. Expect difficulties. You're an alien. But be assured that God will use those difficulties to conform you to the image of His Son. And then we saw last week they had another motion, and that was they felt God forsaken. They felt that God had forsaken them. Why would they be experiencing what they were experiencing if God was with them? And then Peter tells them, Far from being forsaken, you are chosen. Chosen by God. His special treasure. And then Peter goes and explains to them what all God did to save them. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Set apart, sanctified by the Holy Spirit unto obedience to Christ. And sprinkled with His blood. Peter says, when you see what God's done to save you, you will realize He would never forsake you. We come to a new emotion today, and that is the emotion of despair, the emotion of depression, the emotion of being overwhelmed, the idea of what's the use? No matter what I do, no matter how I pray, it just gets Worse. I give up. I quit. I don't care anymore. Now let's not be naive, okay? If any of us experience enough adversity, enough pressure, for a long enough period of time, we will be sorely tempted to be depressed and to have despair. Now, I want to make the distinction this morning, before we go any further, between what I call clinical depression and what I call normal depression. Clinical depression is that depression that lasts for months, and it is there because of a chemical imbalance in one's brain. And in order to treat that, you need to go see a physician, and you need to get on some medication to supply that chemical that your brain is missing. Now, I'm not talking about the clinical kind of depression that lasts for months. I think what Peter's talking about is that normal depression that we all experience from time to time, the sense of hopelessness, the sense of despair because of what we're going through that may last days, perhaps even weeks. Now, Peter's going to help us to see how we can deal with these situations. But don't be naive to think it couldn't happen to you. Given enough pressure, enough adversity, for a long enough period, trust me, you will be tempted to be hopeless and have despair and depression. The Bible characters experienced it. Look at, for instance, at Elijah. You remember Elijah who stood before the people of Israel, and said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. If it's Baal, then worship Baal. But if it's God, worship God. He took on the 300 prophets of Baal, and they cried for God to call down fire on their sacrifices. And, of course, Baal didn't respond. 
because he's not a God. And Jehovah, the God of Israel, responded to Elijah's calling and sent fire down and licked up the altar and the water all around it. And indeed, he stood before those prophets of Baal in the nation of Israel and went to spiritual warfare. Well, as a result of that, Queen Jezebel said she wanted to kill him. Well, after going through that, he went out into the wilderness and look what he's experiencing. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. So Elijah knew what it was to be depressed. He wanted to die. Jonah experienced this type of depression. After he went and prophesied to the uh, Ninevites and told them to repent or God's judgment was coming, he didn't want to go to start off with, you will remember, because they were such a wicked and mean people. And it had been prophesied they would eventually attack Israel. And I guess he felt like a traitor. But you know the story. You can't run from God. You can't hide from God. So God saw to it that he went. And he preached. And lo and behold, the people repented and believed. A mighty revival. Now you'd think he'd be excited about that, wouldn't you? Just the opposite. He's complaining to God. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better to me than life. He was depressed. David experienced depression. You have some of the deepest emotions of despair and depression in the Psalms that you'll find in any writing. Psalm 42. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? David is in despair. Paul experienced Depression as well. If you will look over in Second Chronicles, Second Corinthians seven six, but God who confronts the depressed comforted us. God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. So Paul was experiencing depression as well. Now, with this in mind, let's read our text together. Take your Bibles, turn over to First Peter, chapter one. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read together in verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You may be seated. Now, Peter says basically three things you need to do to overcome this depression. First, he says you need to look upward. Secondly, you need to look forward. And thirdly, you need to look heavenward. Look upward. Look forward and look heavenward. All right? First, look upward. Start by praising God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. Now, that word blessed means to speak well of. 
It's not the word, same word used in the Beatitudes where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That word blessed means fortunate, much to be envied. This word literally means speak well of. So you can say praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is talking about praising God. The first step to overcome despair and depression is to start praising God. So simple, yet so true. Well, how does praise help you overcome despair? Well, depression and despair are like a downward cycle. You start by thinking how bad things could get, and then you just keep spiraling downward and downward. For instance, you think, man, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. They're doing cutoffs and layoffs at work, and, and I'm afraid I'm going to be next. And if, if I lose my job, then I can't make my car payments. And then I'm going to lose my car. And if I lose my car, then I won't be able to get to work. Or I won't be able to find a new job. And then if I can't find a new job, I'm going to lose my house. And then if I lose my house, we're going to be homeless. And, and, and then you start feeling guilty. I can't believe I'm thinking like this. I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to be worrying like this. What am I doing? I must be a sorry Christian. I can't believe this doubt I'm experiencing. I can't believe this fear I'm experiencing. And then you're ashamed because you're feeling that way and it just keeps going down and down and down. But what you got to do is you got to break that cycle and start coming up. Well, when you're going down, you're going down because you're looking at the problem and how bad it is and you just start compounding it. But what you need to do is look up. Don't look down. Look upward. Look to God. Look to how great your God is, not how big your problem is. You start praising God. Praise Him for who He is. Break the cycle. Praise Him for His forgiveness. Praise Him for His compassion. Praise Him for His majesty. Praise Him for His faithfulness. Praise Him for His love, for His mercy, whatever. Just praise Him. Get your eyes off your problem and get your eyes on the problem solver. Get your eyes on Jesus. Start praising God. You say, but I don't feel like it. Doesn't matter if you feel like it. It's a matter of obedience. What does the scripture say? But in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Not a matter of feelings. It's a matter of obedience. Thank God. Reverse the downward cycle. By looking up and praising God. The psalmist does this. The very psalm that I showed you, Psalm 42, where David is in despair, in the same verse, he goes from downward to looking up. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Then he starts looking up. Hope in God. Start looking up, hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. So there, in one verse, we see the principle. When you're going down, hey, start looking up. Start looking up. Start praising God. So first, he says, look upward. Secondly, look forward. Continuing on in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy 
has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, you have a living hope. Now remember, hope in the Bible is different than hope the way you and I use it. You and I use hope like a wish. I hope I win the publishing house sweepstakes. I don't say lottery because I don't play the lottery. But I hope I win the sweepstakes, right? Now, that's just a wish. That's a desire. But in the Bible, when it uses hope, it is a confident expectation of a future thing. It's not just a wish. It's a confident expectation. I am fairly certain it's going to happen. Here Peter says that you have been born again to a living hope. To a confident expectation of good things in the future. Now hope is so important to people who are going through difficulty and adversity and suffering. Look even in this one letter how prominent hope is. In chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then again in verse 21 of the same chapter. Who through Him are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And then in chapter 3. Verse 5, for in this way in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. And then in chapter 3, verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. You see, we must look beyond the trouble, beyond the suffering, and we must look forward to what God has in store for us in the future. Look over your problem to what God has forward for you in the future. The confident expectation. Now, this is a living hope. Not just any hope, but a living hope. Now, the term should be translated probably lively hope. This is a word that's used in the Greek to speak of eternal life. It's the idea of an actively alive, vibrant hope. One of the commentators says this lively hope is an energizing principle, a spontaneous, overflowing, buoyant thing. It is a hopefulness, a spirit of optimism. That looks forward to the good. So what's the basis of this buoyant optimism? Why is it we can be optimistic to something good happening beyond the present suffering and that we're going through? Paul said, uh, Peter says, according, he's caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the resurrection of Jesus that gives us the basis for our optimism. 
Jesus overcame the greatest enemy through his death and resurrection. He overcame death. He overcame sin. Those are the two worst enemies out there, folks. And if you can overcome those two things, you can overcome anything. And Jesus overcame them. And because of His resurrection, we too shall be resurrected someday. We have His resurrection power in us. Therefore, we can look forward past the present problems, the present difficulties, to the future victory that He has for us. Notice the tone of victory and optimism in this verse. He starts off praising God. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, not according to something we've done, but according to who He is and His mercy, which is His compassion over our misery, coupled with action. That's what mercy is. It's having compassion over somebody's misery, but not only compassion, but you move to do something about it. He took compassion on us and our misery in sin, and He did something to remedy the problem, and that is He sent Jesus Christ. So praise be to God, who according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again. It's again what He did for us. We didn't save ourselves, He saved us. That's why we can be optimistic. And He saved us to a vibrant, lively hope. To a confident expectation based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our victory over sin and death. Peter says, when you're tempted to be depressed, you're tempted to have despair. He said, look up and look forward. Look beyond the immediate adversity and look forward to what God has for us. What does he have for us? What do we have to look forward to? Well, we can look forward to Jesus coming back. We can look forward to Jesus setting up His kingdom and us ruling and reigning with Him. We can look forward to the day that righteousness will triumph. We can look forward to the day that we'll be rewarded for our faithfulness. We can look forward to the day when we shall have uninterrupted, perfect fellowship with Him. We can look forward to the day where we'll have perfect, resurrected bodies. Whatever your adversity is, Look forward to the hope God has for you. If your adversity is sickness, look forward to that glorified body that He has in store for you. If your adversity is chronic pain, look forward to heaven where there will be no pain. Your adversity is grief, look forward to the day where all tears will be wiped away, for there will be no grief or mourning. Your adversity is poverty. Look forward to the day that you will inherit the universe. Your adversity is a handicap. Look forward to that perfected body that you will have, perfect in every way. Your adversity is loneliness. Look forward to that joyous fellowship that you will have with believers in heaven. Peter says you're tempted to be depressed in despair, to have a sense of hopelessness. He says, look up. Look upward. Look forward. And then thirdly, look heavenward. Look heavenward. Verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, 
undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Look heavenward, he says. You see, we're not only born again to a living hope, but you're also born again to an inheritance in heaven. When you're born again, you're born again into God's family, right? He adopts you into His family. Well, as a member of His family, guess what? You've got a great inheritance waiting on you. You've got an inheritance beyond anything you can imagine waiting on you. You are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. And so, what we have here is that Peter says, Look, I want you to understand. You don't need to be depressed. You don't need to be in despair. You need to look heavenward at the inheritance God has for you. Unless you be afraid that somehow it might not be there when you get there, he says, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about it. First, it is imperishable. That word means not decaying. Indestructible. Not able to be destroyed. That's the same word that's used to describe our resurrected bodies and the same word used to describe the Word of God that abides forever. Your inheritance will not fade away. It is imperishable. Now, earthly inheritances can be destroyed. You can have 10,000 acres of fine timber, but one match can take that away in a matter of a few days. But not so with the inheritance God has for you in heaven. It is imperishable. He says also that it is undefiled, without defect or flaw, unstained or tainted. Now, it's possible in this life to have a tainted inheritance. So you find out your long-lost uncle died and left you a couple of million dollars, but you find out it's all the result of drugs and prostitution. Now, that's tainted. You wouldn't want to spend that money. You'd give it to the church. But your inheritance in heaven is not tainted. It is there completely flawless and unstained. Thirdly, he says, it will not fade away. It won't dry up. It won't wither away. Now, you and I know inflation can work on your inheritance in this life. Every year, inflation eats back on it. But let me tell you, not so with your inheritance in heaven. It will never fade away. And then he says, fourthly, reserved in heaven for you. This word reserved means to take care of, to guard, to keep watch over. The other day I needed to put something in the safe deposit box that I have in one of the local banks. And so I went there. And in order to get into that safe deposit box, first of all, I have to have a key. But not only do I need a key, but I have to also go in and put a code into uh, this machine. And not only do I have to put the code into the machine, but I have to put my hand on a uh, biometric reader and it reads my palm and my hand, my handprint. And then when I have put in the code put my hand on the pad, 
and it reads that I who I'm who I say I am, then the door unlocks. I can go in, but then I still got to have the key to get in the box. Now, three different safeguards, you might say. But even that's not totally safe because somebody could come in there with a bomb and blow that door off the hinges and blow that box open. But let me tell you, your inheritance in heaven is beyond any robber's reach. It is reserved in the safety deposit box of heaven. And let me tell you, it is absolutely safe. Reserved in heaven for you. Well, what is that inheritance? It is the fullness of our salvation. And all that's involved in that. You see, salvation is three tenths. First, there's past tense. You've been justified. Your sins have been forgiven. And then there's present tense of salvation, sanctification, spiritual growth. We're growing into Christ's likeness. We are being saved day by day as we progress in Christ's likeness. But then there's a future aspect of your salvation, and that's glorification. That's when your salvation shall be complete. That's when your body shall come forth from the grave, glorified, perfected after the glory of Jesus, and be joined to your spirit, and we shall rule and reign with Him on earth for a thousand years and through eternity. That's when your salvation will be complete. And you will inherit all things in the universe as a co-heir with Christ. You will share in the very glory of the Lord Jesus. Now, all that's involved in that is our inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven, that is undefiled, that is imperishable, that will not fade away. God has guaranteed that inheritance will be there for you. But it gets better. He has guaranteed that you will be there for that inheritance. It's one thing to have the inheritance there, but if you don't get there, it won't do you any good. But look what Peter says. Verse 5, Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only is an inheritance being kept protected in heaven for you, but you're also being protected, kept on earth for your inheritance in heaven. Protected means continually being kept. This word is used in the Greek to talk about the guarding and keeping safe of precious jewels. You're God's special treasure, remember? All He did to save you. He's going to keep you saved. He's going to guard you and He's going to keep you. And He has got you reserved for that treasure that's reserved for you. So when you find yourself depressed, you find yourself experiencing despair and a sense of hopelessness, first, what do you do? Look upward. Stop praising God. Get your eyes off your problem and get it on God. Secondly, look forward. Look for what God has in store for you. Look over the problem to what He's got in store in the future. And then... Look heavenward. He's got a treasure reserved for you. He's got an inheritance waiting on you beyond what you can imagine. And He is going to keep you safe 
for that inheritance as well.